I am not brave. I am not special. I am not ready. Good evening. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you tonight. If you would grab your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 3, if you don't have a Bible, we're going to have it on the screen in a minute. Um, as we continue on in this series, uh, there's notes on the back side of your bulletin if you want to follow along with me. And, uh, but this series is all about if you've ever felt like you aren't good enough, smart enough, brave enough to do what God's put in your heart to do. Um, and I think many times we feel those emotions and they keep us back from what God's called us to do as Christ followers. And this series, this message tonight is for you because uh, I really believe the truth of God's word can replace the lies of the enemy and can give us the strength that we need to do what God's called us to do. And so we've been looking through the, at the life of Moses, not his entire life, but just this pivotal moment where he's about 80 years of age, scholars say, that he's been on the backside of the desert for 40 years. He was raised in Egypt in the house of Pharaoh. And he, in Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4 tells us about this God call that he experiences. And again, we know the end of the story, but you got to back up and just kind of don't get ahead of the story. And we talked about uh, one day... The first week, one day, uh, that oh, God shatters this 40-year silence. and He begins to speak to Moses through one bush. And God shows up in the bush. And the bush isn't holy, but God's in the bush. And he does extraordinary things through ordinary things. And that's how God speaks to us. And then there's one response. Moses responds to God and just says, here I am, God. Here I am. Whatever you want me to do, here I am. And, and God begins to say the reason why he is speaking to Moses is because he's heard one need of the people. And it just reminds us that wherever we are, whatever we're doing, whatever we're dealing with, God hears our prayers. He sees our hurts. He sees our pain. He sees our sorrow. And then out of that, God gives this one call to Moses. And he tells Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be the one that's going to meet this need. I'm going to use you to meet this need. And Moses begins with a litany of excuses. And that's where we pick up tonight. This I'm not ready. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but... God asked you to do something that you completely said, well, you got the wrong number. I'm not the right person for this. I'm not qualified for this. And you begin to have this conversation with God about why you're not qualified. You may even go as far to suggest other people to God. Hey, I know Fred over here, he'd be way better at this. Or Sally, she'd do a much better job. But, but God, are you sure me? I, there's just, and Moses has this conversation. And what I want you to see is this. Many times we read the Bible. And we think that these people, these accounts, because they're, they're not stories. Stories would lend to uh, more of a fantastic type of, uh, of a fable, type of a parable, type of a scenario. No, these, these are accounts. This is historical accounts of God's interacting with his people and their responses and what God does through ordinary people. But you need to understand, these are just ordinary people that God has gifted and that God has called and he's used. And never elevate the, you know, the, the vessel over the contents of the vessel. Don't, don't elevate the bush because God's in the bush. Um, you, you just realize it's just a bush. It's just a person. And so Moses begins to go, and he basically lays all of his weaknesses out. And I think these are some pretty good things. Verse 11 of Exodus chapter 3, here's the first excuse that he gives. But Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? We talked a little bit about this last week. But Moses basically says, I don't have the significance. 
I'm not significant enough. I don't have the status. Who am I that I'm going to stroll in to the most powerful government on the face of the planet and demand that their entire work, workforce, three million Jews, are going to be released into my hands? Who am I? And I love what Chuck Swindoll says. Any old bush will do as long as God's in the bush. We talked about that last week. Any old bush will do as long as God's in the bush. God, we, many times we come to God and we say, I don't have the significance. I don't have the status. I don't have the connections. I, I don't know which fork to use when I sat down at, at some big gala or event. Or, or I wasn't raised like this. Or, or I just don't know how to deal with this. Or I don't know how to deal with these kind of people. Or this is beyond me. And can I tell you, God loves to call us when we feel completely insignificant. When we feel completely like we don't have anything to bring to the table. When we feel like, man, and I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I have. Have you ever walked into a room and felt like, okay, I am totally outclassed here? And again, being from Arkansas, that's probably not that hard of a stretch of imagination. But I've walked into rooms and just felt like, whoa, dude, this is, as we would say in Arkansas, this is high cotton. My dad would say, if you can't run with the big dog, stay on the porch, you know? It's just like, I need to go back to the porch for a minute because I just, this is way bigger than me. These are way more powerful people than me. These are way more connected individuals than me. These are way more gifted individuals than me. God, you've got the wrong person. I should not be here. I'm not qualified to be here. If you've ever felt like that, listen to what I'm going to tell you. You are a perfect candidate for God to use. It's all through Scripture. People that didn't feel like they were able to measure up, even to status quo. And God says, yeah, I want to use you. I don't know what it is about God, but, but little as much when God is in it. God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The Bible says in our weakness, God's strength is perfected. Even in sin, where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. You want to get close to God, you go where people are hurting. You, you want to see the grace and the mercy of God, you get around people that have nothing. That's why I'm trying, and we've tried so much this year to get people on mission trips. Because I'm telling you, when you go and you see the plight of humanity... It does something to you. I mean, this week, I was asked by a missions organization that we've been involved with, along with a couple other pastors, to, to, to basically to fly to South America and to go and to see a project in the city of 8 million people in, in, in the country of Colombia. And we flew in and just to see and to smell and to hear and to see what's going on and then to see this Bible school that's being built, that's training up, and to see... These pastors and these leaders and these churches that are being planted all throughout the, this area. And, the, and, and this place that had been so controlled by, by so many outside and, and evil forces and vile forces to see what God's doing. I mean, later on this year, I've been invited to go with a group of pastors to Cuba because the doors are opening up to go back into Cuba. And we're going to be a part, you're going to be a part of launching a Bible college in Cuba. Cuba! Fidel Castro, I mean, do you know what I'm talking? I mean, like, I mean you, you can't do that, but it's happening. And I'm telling you, if I could tell you things and, 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 and emails that I get that are completely secure that I can never uh, talk about in public, I could talk about just you and I in close countries that where this is not supposed to be happening, but it's happening, and the church is growing, and the underground church is growing, and we can't even give out names of missionaries that we support because if anybody found out they were in those, I mean, just God's doing amazing things. Why? Because... God doesn't need our significance. But man, how many times do we feel that way? How many times do we feel that way? The, the next excuse is in verse 13. Moses says to God, I love it. He just keeps, he keeps, the hits keep coming. Suppose, 
Just work with me for a minute, God. Suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I tell them? I love how he just tries to stump God, you know? And Moses basically is saying here, I don't have all the answers. What happens if they ask me a question and I don't have the answer? What happens if they ask me something and I don't have the answer? What happens if they say, okay, what's your strategy? How are we going to get out of this? How are we going to do this? Well, how, how is God going to do this? Now, let's just think about this for a second because this is something I deal with. I think we deal with when we're talking about just personal evangelism, just inviting people. What happens if I invite someone to church or I begin to talk about my faith and they ask me a question I don't have the answer to? I get that all the time. What happens if they start talking about creation and a literal seven days, or is it figuratively, or what happened to the dinosaurs, or explain the chimpanzee deal, or what about this, or what about evolution and Darwin and his theory, and how does this imply with this, and what about this, and you know there are problems with this part of it, and what about this, and I mean, what if I don't have the answers? And a lot of times what we do is we say, God, I don't have the answers, so we just shut down. And when you read scripture, a lot of times God doesn't give you the answer. Have you ever figured that out yet? That's, been, that's still hard for me. It's like, I just want the whole enchilada. I want to see the whole plan. Just walk it out for me. I'm a real, like, I like to know where I'm eating tomorrow, right? I'm, I'm just that way. I, everything's, I like a plan. I want to know where I'm going. I want to know what's happening. I don't like, I, I do not like, like, not knowing. You know, that's just, and maybe you're not like that at all. Maybe you're just a free spirit and, and you're just laid back. I'm not. I, I, I like to know. And, and God doesn't do that. And here's what I have found. I'm just helps you or not. I have never lost respect for a person that I asked a question to and they honestly said, I don't know. Have you ever looked at someone and thought, man, you stinking moron? Why don't you know the answer to that? Have you ever lost respect for someone who just said, you know, I really don't know the answer to that. I'll help you try to find the answer, but I don't know the answer. Now, I have lost respect for people who acted like they knew the answer and refused to admit that they were wrong. But to someone who just honestly said, hey, I don't know. You know, but what I do know is, I don't know. Let's, let's look that up together. Let's try to figure that out together. But I, I don't know, but, but here's what I do know. You see, why do we feel like we have to have all the answers? Have you ever thought about that? Because this paralyzes a lot of people. It paralyzes me. Because sometimes as a pastor, I feel like I have to have all the answers. I have to be like the walking biblical encyclopedia. If you ask me any question, any chapter, any verse, I should be able to answer the question. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I like, sometimes I don't like being in Bible studies because if there's a question that nobody can answer, it goes right to me. It's like, I don't know. I mean, dude, I'm really pretty clueless. I, I don't know. I, we'll look it up. We'll try to find it. I mean, I read the Bible and I, and I pray and I, and I have a relationship with God and I've got a degree that says I know this stuff, but I really don't know. And the more that I read it, the more I realize, the less I do know. Have you ever figured that out? I don't know that. The more I walk with Jesus, the more I realize what I don't know. The more I have, hey, that's a question for heaven. I'm going to write that one down. Like I'm getting to take the journal with me. You know, like the rapture takes place. Hey, I've got a list of questions. Just a second. And the reason why we feel like that is pride. It's not about God. It's about me. I don't want to look foolish. See, that, that's Moses' issue here. Moses' issue is he doesn't want to look foolish. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't know what to say. He, he, he wants to have all the answers. And can I tell you, when God calls you to do something, he doesn't give you all the answers. He may give you a answer, but he doesn't give you all the answers. And if you feel incomplete doing what he's called you to do, if you feel like you're taking one step in front of the other, guess what? You're just doing the will of God. That's the way it's, it's a process. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And God basically gives Moses a response in, through verses 14 through 22. I'm not going to read that. But he basically says, 
If they ask you who sent you, tell them that the I am sent you. Again, through these two chapters, you see a lot of, uh, a lot of play on the pronoun I. He comes back to this in a minute. We talked about it last week. But he says, tell them that the I am sent you. And again, you can read scholarship on this, and different scholars conjecture back and forth. But, but, but the most plausible response to that is, is basically that, that the I am word translated into Hebrew meant Yahweh. We sing a song called Yahweh, and that's, that, that's, that's the name of God. And, and, so, and some scholars say this is the first time chronologically that God has used this to define himself. But what it simply means is, is that I am whatever tomorrow means, needs me to be. If it means that I need to be a healer, then I'm the healer. If it means to be I need to be the savior, I'm the savior. If it means I need to be the provider, I'm the provider. If it means to mean I need to be the protector, I'm the protector. If it means I need to be the deliverer, I need to be the deliverer. I am whatever tomorrow demands of me to be. So when you go to the nation of Israel, when you go to these three million Israelites, and you tell them that I'm about to rescue them because I've heard their prayers and I have sent you, and they say, who sent you? You can just say, Yahweh, the great I am, has sent me to you. And basically, if I need to be a, a deliverer, if I need to be a miracle worker, whatever I need to be, that's what I'll be. You know what's amazing to me about the Bible? In the book of Galatians, uh, Paul tells us that when we become Christ followers, when we follow Jesus, that we get the same blessing and the same promise that the nation of Israel gets. Now, don't misunderstand me. As a nation, Israel is blessed. Old Testament, New Testament, all the way through. Kind of an interesting theological fact. In the, old, in, the, in the book of Revelation, in the end of times, Israel is there. The United States is not just put that in your pipe and smoke it for a while. Because I'm telling you, they're a blessed people. They are going to be in the picture when Jesus comes back. I, I don't have any other answers. I can see people going, Whoa, what, does that, what does that mean? Are you saying like, look, I'm not saying anything. I'm just telling you, when, when we look at that and the eschaton of time, we see in the book of Revelation that they have a prominent place, that they're God's chosen people. But the book of Galatians tells us that when we're Christ followers, we've been grafted into the vine. We've been adopted sons and daughters, we, those of us that are Gentiles. Now, if you're a Jewish believer, man, you've like hit the mother load on this one. But if, you are, if you're a Gentile like myself, then, 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 then you are grafted into the vine. But what that means is that every promise and every blessing of God's word is yours and mine. Translate that to today, the great I am. God is whatever you need him to be. See, sometimes I think what God's telling Moses is, look, the Israelites are going to listen to you, and I'm going to take care of Egypt. I'm going to be with you. All you have to do is stand on this promise that Yahweh has sent you, that the great I am has sent you. Whatever you need from me to be, I will be. And as you read the, 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 the sequential chapters following, you see that God provides this exodus for the nation of Israel. You see that God provides for them in 40 years. You see that God does deliver on the promised land. You see that they go in and that they overtake this entire area without ever drawing a sword. Think about that. They exodus out of Egypt without any physical contact. They go through the desert and they are sustained for 40 years. The Bible says that their clothes do not wear out. And God provides breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's my kind of God. You, you too, Tom. Right? And then when they go to the promised land, they never draw a sword. The biggest, largest Fortified city, the walls of Jericho were tightly shut up. The, 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 the thickness of the walls were so thick that scholars tell us that, that they would do chariot races on the tops of these walls. 
And they walked around the walls for seven days. And on the seventh day, they shouted unto God with a voice of triumph. And the enemy was defeated, and the walls came tumbling down. Why? Because the I am sent them. See, when you go into your office place, just know as a Christ follower, the I am has sent you. When you do your marketplace ministry, just know that you're going not in your authority, but in the authority of the great I am. When you walk into your school, when you walk into your place of employment, you know that you're not walking in your own power, but in his power. When you go in to take care of the business transactions for your family, know that you're not doing business just for yourself, but you're doing it as unto the Lord. Because the Bible says, whatever our hand finds to do, do as unto the Lord. And if we're Christ followers, we're either called to vocational ministry, which is what I do as a minister, as a missionary, or to marketplace ministry, which is the great work you get to do. Because my job is to equip you to do your job. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to serve the bread of life, hot and fresh, every week. To serve the seeker and build the believer. And every week to, to make sure that you've got the power to kind of get in your kitchen, rattle the pots and pans, open up this book called the Bible. But I'm here to remind you, if you don't hear anything else I say tonight, listen to this. God is with you. Stand on his word. That's why he gave it to you. That's why it's so powerful. And in those moments where you walk in and you feel like I'm not significant enough, I'm not connected enough, I don't know enough, just know it's God that's brought me here, and he'll provide. He'll put the words in my mouth that I need to say. He'll give me the peace in my heart that I need that passes all understanding. He will give me joy through the middle of my sorrows, and he will provide and will comfort and will meet every single need, not according to my riches and glory, but according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I know I'm preaching. i got to move on. But I'm just telling you that's what he's saying to Moses. When you stand before the nation of Israel, you tell them that Yahweh sent you. And if the scholars are right, and that's the first time that God has used this name to refer to himself, wow, how would you like for God, to, for you to say, God, you've called me to work at such and such company. And you're going to do this great thing at this company. And you're going to, we're going to see everybody, all the employees of 4,000 people in this corporate office saved. Now, who do I say sends me when the, when the head of HR comes and talks to me? And God says, I'm going to give you a special name, but a name that will translate. Powerful. It's like the name of Jesus. That's what Jesus did when he left. He said, the Holy Spirit's going to come, but I'm going to give you name. I'm going to give you power in the name of Jesus, that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, that even the demons in hell tremble at the name of Jesus. Now, I'm not telling you to go to your lunchroom cafeteria at your corporate office and stand on the thing and say, Jesus. But what I am telling you is when you walk in or whatever God's called you to do, you don't go in your own power. You go in the power and the strength of the Lord. Moses continues on. And in verse, chapter 4, verse 1, he has another excuse. He says, okay, well, what if they don't believe me or listen to me or say the Lord didn't appear to you? What if they don't believe my experience? What do I say? Basically, Moses' excuse is, I don't have respect. They're not going to respect me. They don't respect me. God, you don't understand. Have you ever told God that before? You don't understand. I've been here before. Remember 40 years ago, I tried to take matters into my own hands. I tried to handle all this. They still haven't forgotten me. And it's way bigger magnified in his mind than it is in reality. And Moses shows how deeply he fears to be ridiculed or embarrassed. I wonder how many times we don't do the great things that God's called us to do because we are scared to be embarrassed or ridiculed. I really think this fear is right up there with the fear of I don't have the answers, which is pride. But the second thing is being embarrassed. I just don't want to be embarrassed. 
I mean, I don't want to be embarrassed by my neighbors. I don't want to be embarrassed. And I used to think that this was just something the high school and junior high kids dealt with when I was a youth pastor. But the longer that I senior pastor, the more I realized that peer pressure is alive and well in the ranks of the adults. How many times do we not speak out or do whatever it is that God's called us to do, whether it's in secret and in private or in public, what God calls us to do? So Moses isn't alone. We all feel this from time to time. And God responds in the, second, in the following verses. And I just want to walk through them. I'm not going to read them. But it's very interesting because basically God gives him three, three examples. And, and any time the Bible does something in threes, it's, it's emphatically to underscore, to highlight. It's very typical throughout Scripture that if God really wants to drive home a message, there's a repetition. But there's a little bit of a difference in the nuance. And so the first thing that he does, he says, well, Moses, take the staff that you have in your hand. Now, the staff represented leadership in the life of Moses. It represents leadership in the life of a Christ follower. Because the Bible says that we're following the great shepherd and we are sheep. And how does he lead us? By his staff. It's the same staff that Moses is going to hold over the river. And they're going to cross on dry ground, three million Jews. It's with the same staff that he's going to lose it in the desert. It's going to be the same staff that he's going to lean on when he's in the presence of a holy God because only a few people have stood in the presence of Jehovah. It's going to be that same staff that he's going to be carrying when he stands on the mountain just like God promised and he sees the promised land and he dies. That staff that he's been carrying in the desert for 40 years. He said, I want you to take that staff which represents leadership in your life. And he said, I want you to throw it down. And when he throws it down, it immediately turns into a serpent. Now, why a serpent? Well, if you do study, you'll find Western civilization tells us that, that, uh, that the serpent was a, a sign of royal authority in the land of Egypt. That's the reason why there were always serpent heads on the top of all the pharaohs. Why? Because it represented royal authority. So this thing that represents the authority in the life of a Christ follower suddenly turns into authority into, into the life of, of the Egyptians, to the pagans, if you would, to the adversary. And then God says, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab it and pick it up. Why would he do that? Because God's showing him that once he grabs it and he picks it up and he trusts in in God, he trusts in Yahweh, when he grabs that staff that's turned into a serpent and he picks it up, it turns back into a staff. And God says, look, you have power and dominion. The staff is greater than the serpent. The leadership of, of Jehovah is greater than the leadership of Egypt. The power of Jehovah God, of Yahweh, of the great I am, is greater than the power and the leadership that, that, that's on this great nation of, of Egypt. I can do anything. But God doesn't stop there. He says, I want you to take your hand. I want you to put it inside your coat. I want you to take it out. And when he takes it out, his hand is white. It's leprous. It would be like uh, 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 the AIDS virus for us. It, 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 there, there was no remedy. There was no. There was. There was a death sentence. You were. You were exiled to die. And he says, "Now I want you to take it and put it back into your coat and bring it back out." And he comes out and it's completely, completely whole. It's this skin disease, this leprosy. And again, God just shows in verses six and seven that He has power and He's over over anything that man will face. And it's a foreshadowing of the plagues that are going to take place. These plagues that are going to plague humanity, that are going to plague e- Egypt. Again, He's saying, "Look, I can do anything." And He has to stop there. He says, "I want you to." to, to, to he turns in verses eight and verse nine. He turns water into blood, and it's His power even over the elements. Again, it goes back to a reemphasis of the burning bush experience. But again, Egypt's life force was the power of the Nile River. It's what made them great. 
Any great city that's ever been built or ever will be built has to have a waterway. It has to have a way in which to get goods in and out. And this entire fortified country rested on this Nile River. And God just says once again, look, even the water, even the power, even the substance that makes this place powerful, I can turn complete elements of water into blood. I can do anything that I want to do. Again, and, and here's the deal is, he's telling Moses, look, I'm going to go before you, and I'm going to be with you, and I will become your respect. And when they're done seeing what I will do, enough said. And can I just tell you this? That any time that we go and do things in the name of the Lord that God truly has called, there's all, he's always going to sign that with miracles and signs and wonders. It amazes me sometimes in our lives where all of a sudden we can become like um, a little bit surprised that God's going to do something. Because sometimes God asks you to do something. You go, God, do you realize how much this costs? Do you realize what's going to happen with this? Do you realize what's going on with this? Do you, do you realize how much favor we need with this? Do you realize what we need with this? God, do you know what's going to have to happen in order for this to come to pass? And God says, I can do anything. And many times in our life, he takes those little steps. And he goes, remember when I did this? And remember when I did this? And remember when I did that? Because Moses will remember back when he had that encounter with God, with the staff and with the serpent. He'll remember that encounter with, with, with the leprous hand. He'll remember that encounter back where God turned water into blood and then back again. Because it'll be a physical example. And can I tell you, anytime we go in the name of the Lord, God will always, always do what we have the ability not to do. I just want us to talk about this for a second. It's not in my notes. I know I've got to close. But I believe far too long that we don't really believe for the miracles and the miraculous power of God that's available to us as Christ followers. I mean, I really believe that you can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. I, that's why we pray for people. We anoint them with oil and we pray the prayer of faith. The book of James says, and they will be made whole, period. Do you know there's been people that have come to the prayer partners and have prayed and, 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 and they're, they're facing a, a, a possible cancer and, and they've gone to the doctor and there's no sign? And we get emails and people, the things that are happening at the front, right here just during the prayer time when the worship's going on. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be all like, sometimes I think we think the miraculous has to have some drum roll and some music and then it's the, the, the ceiling needs to open up like Miller Park and then, okay, we see, oh, it's God. No, no, God just goes, boom, I can do this, I can do this. I can do this. I can do that. Somebody loses a job and they walk through and then all of a sudden God provides them a greater job. Maybe just maybe there's some things happening in your life because God's putting you in that miracle zone territory because he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could think or ask. Just miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. I'm just saying the Bible says that just believe, man. Just the, 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 the economy of heaven is faith just to believe God. And maybe you're struggling today. Can I tell you, put your faith in him. Don't put it in me. Don't put it in church. I'm telling you, I will fail you. The church will fail you. But Jesus Christ will never leave you. He'll never forsake you, even to the end of the world, the Bible says. And, 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 and here's what God's trying to drive home with Moses. I can do anything, Moses. I can do anything. I can get you a job. I can pay your mortgage. I can open a door. I can, give you, I, I, I can help you here. I can touch your sick body. I can bring your prodigal son or daughter home. I can restore the relationship. I can do anything. I'm God. And the, and the last excuse that Moses gives is in chapter, in chapter 4, verse 10. Moses says to the Lord, O oh Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Yes, some type of a speech impediment. 
and basically says, I don't have the skill set. I don't have the skills. I don't have the, Have you ever told God that? God, I, I'm, I just I don't have the skills. I do it. I don't have the skills. That's what he says. You want me to go and talk? You want me to go and say these words? I, I have a hard time with the language. Lord, it's been 40 years since I've spoken Egyptian. I, 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 I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm in the land of Midian. I, I'm a Hebrew. I, I mean, I, I speak Hebrew. I, I speak Midian. I, I, I used to speak Egyptian. It's been 40 years since I've talked like that. You, I have a hard time speaking my, my native tongue uh, uh, besides another language. And, and you want me to go and speak this? And, and I just don't know that I can do this. And, and I love how he says, Lord, I have never been. And I am slow of speech. And again, he goes back to this ideal. You find this all throughout these, these two, this, this conversation between him and God. And it's this battle over I. Is I going to be Moses, man, or is I going to be God? Is it going to be Moses that does the work, or is it going to be God that's going to do the work? Is Moses going to do it through Moses, or is God going to do it through Moses? And God responds in verse 11 and just says, Don't you know that I made the mouth that you speak with? Woo, enough said. Right? I love that. Moses, I gave you the mouth. I know what your weaknesses are. I know what your limitations are. I know what's going on. But I have control not over the, just over the elements, the miracles that I've just done, but I have control over you, the messenger. See, there's times where when God sends us to do his job and to do his work, that he, he reminds us that he doesn't just have control over the elements, over the message, but he has control over the messenger and if you and I had the ability we had the skill set to do it all if we had see because here's what I believe I believe some of you in this room God's called you to to grow or to start or have a great business and you're going to leverage that business not just for your own benefit but you're going to leverage it for the kingdom I believe that I, I know businessmen who make millions of dollars a year and they will sit across the table from me and say Aaron God has blessed me with this gift because I am to fund ministry I know how to make money money I can run I had one guy say I can run down the street and it will run me down and tackle me it doesn't matter anything I touch it seems like it turns to gold and I realize the reason why God has given me this gift is because I'm to resource the kingdom amen I need $525,000 for prime, prime property to prime price. To prime. No, I'm just teasing. But right, I mean, that's the deal. And there's some of you that that's why. Some of you, God's given you influence because he wants you, he's going to give you the ability to speak into students or to speak into a particular sector. And he is raising you up to do great things. I believe that. I believe God has gifted you and, and he's called you. And I think some of you are young and you've got this calling. You've got this passion. You've got this. It's a God call on your life. And you have no clue how you're going to get there. No clue how you're going to finance it. Don't worry. Give it to God. Because here's the deal is if I had the skill set to do it, it's all about me. If I knew how to make it happen, it would be all about me. If I knew how to pay off the property and build the building and put everything together, it would be all about me. But I have no clue. All I know is this step and maybe the next step. And sometimes I don't know the next step until it's time to take the step. You ever felt like that? But God just continues to say, I don't want it to be about you, Aaron. I don't want it to be about you, Fred. I don't want it to be about you, Susan. I want it to be about me. And I gave you the gift set. And I allowed you to have the limitations. And I formed the mouth that you speak with. And I will have control over the elements and over the message. And I'll have control over you the messenger I'm God mm, don't shut me down when I'm preaching good and after all the excuses God finally responds in verse 12 and he says now go like we're done with this conversation <laughs> no more excuses no more conversation now go and I will help you speak and will teach you what to say 
Notice, I'm not going to tell you what to say. I'm not going to give it to you what to say. I'm not going to email you a PDF of what you're going to say so you can pray for it. As you go along, I'll give you the words to say. It's in your notes. Go, and I will help you. Go. Everybody say go. It's amazing to me in Scripture, the greatest things that God does. He uses that two-letter word, that verb, go. Go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel. Baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go, and I'll help you. It's the same thing that God told Moses, the same thing that he tells us. Look, you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have everything together. Just go, and I'll help you. And you may be sitting here and saying, man, so what? What's the big deal about this message today? My question to you is, what is God asking you to do? What's he asking you to do? And your response is, I'm not ready because I can't do this or I'm not smart enough or I'm not gifted enough or I'm not this enough or that enough. And through this message, the Holy Spirit's used the words and he's used me to speak to you to take excuse after excuse after excuse to where you have no other arrow to shoot. And the ultimate question is, the excuses are gone. Are you going to say yes to God and do what he asks you to do? Now, I want you to hear this. As we wrap everything up, I believe. Matter of fact, this past week as I, I was traveling, I, I really I began to work on a series that we're going to be doing um, in January called uh, Living, uh, uh, Living the Dream. And uh, I believe that God has put unreal dreams and desires I mean God things inside of you not just me not just the church I, I believe that but I believe inside of you and, and, and I really believe that this message this weekend is kind of, a, is kind of a, a preparatory message for that series just to kind of get you to think and, and, and maybe to kind of get you out of the boat and just go just do just what, what he's called you to do and, and I just want to challenge you tonight. I want to challenge you tonight to think about this. What is it? Because you know, and you've had all these excuses. Lay your excuses down. And just like Exodus chapter 4, verse 12 says, go and I will help you. 